Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall. Kevin Abbott of Barrel of Monks Brewing in Florida is here, talking about the evolution of Belgian styles, culinary influences on recipes, and finding ways to balance a brewery's philosophy with customer demand. But first up, we're able to bring you this show every week, thanks to these sponsors. This dry January, party on all month long with Athletic Brewing Company's great-tasting non-alcoholic craft beer. Their full lineup of craft styles lets you drink up and stay dry while keeping things fresh. And with brews starting at only 50 calories, you can stick to your resolutions all while saying cheers. Join the party at athleticbrewing.com and get free shipping on two six-packs or more. Plus, new customers can get 10% off with code BEEREDGE10. And we're also brought to you by NZ Hops, a cooperative of master growers whose legend and cultivars have been crafted for over 150 years with creativity and passion to produce some of the world's finest hops. With a dedicated hop breeding program and farming knowledge handed down through the generations, the current day master growers proudly provide 18 unique New Zealand hop varieties to the world. Visit nzhops.co.nz, or you can find them on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn at nzhopsltd to learn more. Before he started in the brewing industry, Kevin Abbott was a wine steward. His time in restaurants helped form his idea behind food and beverage, something that exists to this day. He started as a home brewer and then jumped into the deep end of the brewing pool, starting as the head brewer for Funky Buddha in Florida back when they were launching into brew pub operations. He stayed there for nearly four years and then moved to do South Brewing before becoming a partner and head brewer at Barrel of Monks in 2015. Since then, he's become the director of operations. Abbott got on our show's radar after Matt Manthe, a previous guest and the force behind Odd Breed Wild Ales, suggested that we might have a fun time talking. He was right. Barrel of Monks has an ownership stake in Odd Breed. Abbott oversees most aspects of the brewery, including production, distribution, and the tap room. And we're going to get into it all. Here's our conversation. What's in one of your tanks right now that you're really excited? to get out into the world? Something that's probably the most exciting thing Barrel of Monks has done. It's, it's, it's technically not in my tanks right now. Uh, it's already okay. been packaged, but it hasn't been released. And that is Simulated Summer. It's an IPA. And that sounds pretty boring <laughs> to a lot of people. But for us, it's the first beer we've ever brewed that did not have Belgian ale yeast. And it's something we've been playing with IPAs for uh, for several years now and trying to refine recipes and do it our way. And it's because we never we never made an IPA for the first six years of our existence. And this is the one that we've kind of took the leap, said we're a Belgian-inspired brewery, but that doesn't mean we have to do nothing but Belgian beer. And I think the beer turned out really, really well. It's it's interesting. It's hazy. It's flavorful, and it's. I think it's going to be really, really good for us. When you say "do it your way," what does that mean? So, I've been. I was a brewer for a long time, and as a brewer, I I know a lot about the the production of phenols and esters and yeast strains and whatnot. And I was never a fan of any Belgian IPA past the first two sips. I remember when Cali Belgique first came out and Belgica and it became a thing for a while. And I would always like the first two sips. And then I would just be this, it almost tasted like cough medicine. And it was just the, the, the phenols of a Belgian yeast strain with West coast American hops that were all the rage at the time, just produced some flavors I didn't care for. Sure. So it was really trying to find the right hop components to go with our yeast, with our house style, with our the yeast that we use for the majority of our beers. So we use several different strains as a Belgian brewery, but our workhorse yeast, finding the right hops to go with that was a was really a, a tough tough nut to crack. And we we worked on it. We tried different things until we finally got the right combination and. In 2021, we released four different IPAs. Yeah. And I think each one of them was Belgian. It was hoppy. It was well-balanced. 
and they turned out really, really well. And they all were different. And that was to me doing it our way. So I guess the it, it sort of spins off into to, to a bunch of different a bunch of different things where um if you have been a Belgian inspired brewery from the start, um and they're now dipping your toe into IPA, which is, as we all know, immensely popular in the craft segment. Um, was this inevitable? Is is this what the market is dictating of, hey, you can make really great Belgians, but where are my hops? I think it is. You just have so many people that look at you. We used to have a, a shirt and it was a, it was a takeoff on back to the future. And the quote on the back was IPAs where we're going, we won't need IPAs. And uh, we thought it was very cute. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but going back in time, it was like, yeah, that's sort of sealed your fate that one day you were going to have to. Yeah. Right. Well, and this is the thing is that I, people got offended. There really? were people okay. that that were that were mad. They saw it online and they were like, "What do you mean? It's the most popular craft beer and blah blah blah." And I, I've always been of the opinion. I I spent a lot of years in restaurants before I got into beer, and I, I think anyone that just passively enjoys food would tell you if I'm going to go and get really great Thai food, I'm probably not going to go to the Cheesecake Factory. Right. They make a decent Thai dish. They make yeah. a, they probably make a good pizza, but they don't specialize in it. And I love the idea of specialization as a brewery. I love the idea of the challenge of going to a and, and opening a Belgian inspired brewery because you can do one thing really, really well. And of course, inside that one thing, there's everything. There's tons of different styles and iterations of what you can do. And it's the same thing with Odd Breed. If you're going to do Wild Ales, do Wild Ales really, really well. And I love that aspect of it. But when you get to a point where you are a pretty big brewery doing a lot of distribution, selling beer in grocery stores, selling beers to large national chains, then you the only way to grow is to continue to put more beer out and try new things and get into segments that have high growth potential. And as much as I love Saisons, as much as I love our triple and our double, those don't have as high of a ceiling. And I think that is necessitated going into trying our hand at IPAs. And also uh, a little bit of a chip on our shoulder, honestly, in the fact that we could make a great one and uh, we want to show that too. Yeah. I, I guess it's just, it's one of those, when you had, when you had that t-shirt, right. uh, Made, and then at some point you all had to have the serious business conversation where it was like, okay, like it is time to now make this IPA. Um, what was the lead up to that? If the business model has changed so much, when I came on board, it was really three partners of mine that were the brainchild that it, it came from them. I was the brewer working at a different brewery, a close personal friend, and they had been planning on doing this brewery for years before I became involved. And they had tra- traveled to Belgium and, 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 and the old world tradition of what they wanted to do was very, very strong. Right. And their plans were, we're only going to do 750 bottles. We're not even going to have a tasting room. There was the evolution of this brewery. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it was uh, one of the first yeah. conversations we had was we don't think we're going to do much keg distribution. Okay. And well, that I, ultimately worked out, but yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> for, for, for one pan, uh, a pandemic season, it's probably a good idea, but because from not being in the industry and not kind of seeing the decline of 750 bottles and just not knowing a lot about distribution, they were thinking about Chimay. They were thinking about St. Bernardus. They were thinking about the beers that they loved. And it's been a long road to go from the conceptualization of what we wanted to do in the beginning, what we were, what's feasible, and then kind of becoming something different. When we, one of our number one beers is a single, it's a Belgian single, uh, we market it as a, as a blonde ale with guava called single in Havana. That was a conversation, man, to even make a fruit 
forward Americanized yeah. version of a Belgian style was a conversation. And we had to decide we love this beer as a treatment of one of our of our regular single. And every one of those steps has taken us a little farther away from those classic roots and the way that we're envisioned. And it's been it's been tough. There's there's people in our ownership group that that really want to keep us our foundation uh, well rooted in, in the Belgian tradition. I think that's important. I think you need someone who's saying, "Is this traditional? Is this quality? Is this something that that really may? Is this something that is barrel amongst?" You yeah. need someone that's willing to do that, and then you need the people that are going to be pushing and and having new ideas. So every one of those every one of those previous concessions, if you will, has led up to this one. When you, because that's sort of the interesting thing, right? I mean, styles are so hard to nail down these days because everybody is trying to put their own spin on things. And the consumer base is still asking for, well, what's new and what's different? And, you know, even young drinkers that may have never had a quad before um, are more likely going to try it if you've, you know, added chocolate to it. Um, you know, try it for the first time if you've added something like chocolate to it, as opposed to just like, hey, here's a traditional a traditional style. Um, when you're thinking about the consumer conversation, what what do you want some of the beers where you're like adding guava um, or you know messing around with some things? Like where where do you want that conversation to start and then ultimately wind up? You know, I really want. I, I follow a really, a really, really strange path because I'm the guy who made my name in this industry making maple bacon coffee porter. I wanted to get to, I'm, right. I'm, I'm, I'm working up to, okay, sorry, Florida, but sorry. yeah, no, 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 but that's fine. That's it's fine. just kind of relevant to this little part of it is that my early, my first brews were trying to make culinary inspired beers that were over the top in their flavors. And where I am now is that all I want is a pale ale. <laughs> All I want is a Hefeweizen. All I want is a clean Pilsner. I love classic, clean, two-style, well-balanced beers. I love a great tomato mozzarella salad with basil, sure. salt, and pepper yeah. because those flavors are perfect and you don't need more than that. So the foundation when we make a an IPA or I, I'm releasing a hazelnut vanilla double I, also I, yeah, coming up. I, that's on my screen right now because I was... Yeah. <laughs> So when what we're, our, our goal is, is that I want you to try this style for the first time and taste the beer underneath those flavors okay. and see where the quality is. And with that double, and by the way, that double is probably the most over the top beer we've ever done as far as its flavors. It is in your face, hazelnut and vanilla. Okay. Period. But there's so it's Dunkin' Donuts in the morning kind of thing. It definitely is. Now, okay. uh, uh, as opposed to something like Be Mine, which is a cherry chocolate version of my quadruple that I've been releasing for like three years, that is very much a quad with just a hint of cherry, tart cherry in the background, and a excuse me, and just a little bit of cocoa nibs. That's more balanced towards the beer side of things with a little bit of those extraneous flavors. So I like to I, I want to be able to swim in both ponds. I want to be able to show people that you can do those beers that are really subtle. And I want to show that we can do the over the top stuff for the people that really that's all they're looking for. But if the base beer is not good, if it's the base beer is not bringing anything to the party, then that's where I get a little bit worried. And I'm, I'd be embarrassed of those because I, I think that it's really easy to cover up imperfections with a lot of crap. And I don't want to ever get into that, <laughs> into that, uh, into that world. So let's go back to your funky Buddha days then, because maple, it was maple bacon, coffee porter, porter. Co coffee porter. Right. Yeah. So, you know, one of the very early, uh, you know, dark breakfast ales uh, that sort of, you know, catapulted uh, the brewery into uh, nationwide fame and, and uh, spurred on, I don't know, dozens and if not hundreds of copycats and uh, admirer, uh, you know, homage brews or, you know, you know, whatever it is. Um, when you were putting that together, when you were thinking about it back then, it, it was new, it was different. Um, are the beers 
when you're now thinking of flavors now, I know you're drinking crisp pilsners and, and, and traditional styles and everything, but is there, is it harder to, would it be harder to make something that made an impact like that today than it was back then? I think there's no doubt that it's harder because so many more people are doing it. I, I'm very proud of what I did at that brewery because the it, it wasn't obviously just me. I mean, I, I was I was a brewer, right? I was the, the the head brewer, if you will. But the owners also were involved in recipe and development and all this kind of stuff. So it wasn't like I I came up with that out of whole cloth. No, that wasn't even my idea for maple bacon coffee porter. But I was the one that had to function it. Uh, but our goal when we were discussing these recipes was we would try a dogfish head beer, which a brewery that we loved. And they would say it has these 14 ingredients in it. And we'd go, <laughs> I guess I don't really taste any of those ingredients. And we said, well, why don't we should, if we say it, so something in there, you better taste it. And I think we did a good job with what we did, but with the risk of sounding a little bit negative, it wasn't really all that hard. You just use a lot of the ingredient. <laughs> you know, people would say, man, that raspberry beer you made really tastes like raspberries. <laughs> said, well, yeah we, yeah, we use five pounds of raspberries in a five gallon keg. It's basically <laughs> raspberry juice. So it's going to taste like raspberries. Yeah. So more people, it doesn't. There is skill involved in knowing what the right base beer is. There is skill involved in utilizing the ingredients. So do I use dried fruit? Do I use frozen fruit? Do I use it in this area? Do I use it post or pre-fermentation? There's definitely skills. Matching flavors, definitely skills. But once you have some of those basic uh, ideas in, it's just using a lot of it and being willing to put the money uh, put the money into the ingredients, use quality ingredients. So I think more people have kind of got that cheat code. And when you go to a beer fest now, there's 20 beers that would fit in that culinary uh, uh, realm. And they're all pretty much what they say they are. The beer that they say tastes like s'mores tastes like s'mores. The beer that tastes like French toast tastes like French toast. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of noise when it comes to that. So kind of standing out is really tough. And, and the big thing now is coming in with guys that are home brewers and get a, a name in, in trading circles, and then they open their brewery, and then they get a lot of recognition on them that they're doing these kinds of beers. And uh, and it's really that that kind of hype that 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 is really driving the breweries that are are the new funky Buddhas, right? Yeah. And I guess the other part of that too is if you launch that way and you become known as you know, the crazy brewery. Um, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned dogfish head and I've said this on the show before, but you know, back in the day when home brewers were saying, okay, you know, I'm going to launch a place. I'm going to be the next dogfish head. And I said, wow, you're going to make really solid IPAs. And said, no, no, no. I'm going to, I'm going to be doing batshit crazy stuff. And it's like, well, you understand that it's 60, 90 in India Brown that keep the lights on over there and that all the mm -hmm. other stuff gets the attention. Um, but when you get a national, when you get national attention for, you know, a crazy ingredient beer that tastes exactly like it's supposed to, um, did you find it difficult to then try to convince people of like, but hey, we have this really, really nice unadorned IPA over here that we're really proud of as well. Would you like to drink that? Um, <laughs> you, you don't have a conversation with those people, unfortunately. You know. It the people that are driving it, the people that put Funky Buddha on the map, the people that put Cigar City on the map, in the craft beer community, the, the people like us that know this industry, that love it, that, that are willing to go stand in line for, a, for six hours for a beer, those people never want to talk to you about your IPA or your Hefeweizen or your Belgian Blonde Ale or your triple. They're just not interested. They'll try it once to, to tick their box, and they'll probably tell you that they like it if they do. But it's just not something that's gonna gonna keep their attention. So you, did, you I never even have that conversation with the people. The people that are buying my Wizard Wit, my flagship beer, my wheat beer, which I think is really really well made, and I'm extremely proud of, are casual beer consumers that that's at their favorite bar and they get it all the time, and they probably never even come to the brewery. They probably don't even know we're in, we're down the street from where they live. 
because to them that's just a beer at a at a at a restaurant yeah. or a beer on their on their local supermarket shelf and they don't they don't put those pieces together so i have made the mistake in my early in my career of thinking that the uber craft beer lover was my audience and as you pointed i pointed out perfectly they will not keep the lights on for you unless you are and there are breweries that i know there's breweries in south florida that are so popular so it right that every one of their releases sells out and they can do two or three releases a month and good for them but i since leaving funky and even funky was too big for that we had a 30 barrel brew house yeah well, it was <laughs> no i remember visiting feet. at the time right. yeah was, so yeah. So there was, we were never, they, Funky was never going to be able to just be that, just be maple bacon, coffee porter and peanut butter and jelly and all that kind of stuff. They needed to be Hopgun and Floridian and, and their and their brands and did a great job of it. And being at Barrel of Monks, we could never do anything if we focused on trying to make Be Mine and Hazelnut Vanilla. So I try to, to, to not take it too personally when, when people I, I really love and respect and, and may, might kind of ignore us a little bit because we're not doing that new thing that's really exciting for them. I, we try to throw them a bone every now and then, and maybe yeah. they get excited over our triple IPA that we put out because we're really proud of it. But you just have to have some thick skin and know and try to figure out who your customer is. And then from time to time, try to try to woo some other people over to your side. So. Where do these IPAs now that Barrel Monks are putting out, where does that fit in? Is this going to woo people? Is this going to? I hope so. I, I hope that what we're going to be able to do is be a little bit more welcoming. When you walk in, you see 12 beers on draft and there's not a single IPA and you get someone coming in from out of town or someone even more importantly, local that tries you out for the first time and goes, wait, you don't even have my favorite style. Right. I drink hoppy yeah. beers and you don't have one. So I hope that we'll just be more welcoming to that, that, that consumer. And I hope that when we do something that's big and flavorful, we did a beer called Infinite Enigma, which is a triple IPA that was released uh, later last year that I thought, I thought if you brown bag tasted that with some of the best hazy IPAs, New England style IPAs out there, I think it would have held up really, really well. And we did, <laughs> and uh, with with some people, and some people that really know IPAs said some very kind words. So I hope that we'll be able to get some people to go. Hey, listen, I don't I don't drink their Wizard Wit, but I go for all their big, funky IPAs or their big crazy beers. So we hope that we can do something like that. And you then you you're, you're serving two different con- customer bases differently. More in a minute, but first. Thanks to the companies that support Drink Beer, Think Beer. This dry January, party on all month long with Athletic Brewing Company's great tasting non-alcoholic craft beer. Order yours at athleticbrewing.com and get free shipping on two six-packs or more. Plus, new customers get 10% off with code BEEREDGE10. And NZ Hops a cooperative of master growers whose legend and cultivars have been crafted for over 150 years to produce some of the world's finest hops. NZ hops are like no others, unique in their flavors and aromas. Visit nzhops.co.nz to explore more. Now, back to the conversation. I want to go back to something that you were saying earlier uh, about using specialty ingredients and finding the right base beer. Um, in your brewer mind, when you're putting together a recipe, you know, and let's use this, this, uh, double with hazelnut and vanilla just as a, as, as, as a jumping off point. Sure. Um, did you start with the double or did you start with hazelnut or start with vanilla or where, where did that come together? Well, the double is our double. It's our yeah. Abbey Turno, and it's one of the first beers we ever brewed. So when we opened up, we did single, double, triple, quadruple, Saison, and the Belgian Imperial Stout. Those were the first beers that were made for Barrel of Monks. And these were recipes that my partner, 
Bill McPhee, who's the, the brewmaster at Barrel of Monks, was making on his back patio for seven years before the brewery opened and refining and doing an incredible job of making beer that I was blown away that he was already making without any professional experience. So that double was has been around for a long time. And okay. I, I love the style. In fact, I just drank a prior eight last night with some friends and love I love malt forward beers. I love brown ales. I love ambers. So a double speaks to me. And when they're well-made, they're not overly sweet, which a lot of American breweries, when they do all their Belgians, they're under attenuated. When they're well-made and two style, they're just depth of flavor and complexity are amazing. You get the, the, the burnt sugar from the, to the candy sugar you use. You get the maltiness, the breadiness. So our double is a great palette to paint on because it has complexity that can lend itself to building other flavors on top of it, right? So if you've got something like a quad that already has some chocolatey flavors in it, well, throwing chocolate on a quad is kind of second nature because you yeah. build on that chocolate flavor. And then you've got the raisin and the fig and everything that are great things that go with chocolate. So with the double, it was literally one started out as a beer that was a one-off keg treatment for anniversary party, specialty event, right? You always got to have something to put on there for five gallons. And it's uh, that was not my idea. That was, uh, I think, one of our old head brewers who came up with the idea of doing vanilla and hazelnut in that beer. And then it was, okay, this tastes good, right? But yeah. is it perfect? Well, let's balance it a little bit more towards this. Let's move it more towards this. And then you can start tweaking the recipe in the fermenter because now we're building a 20 barrel batch and we don't have to just do a treatment. And that's one of the steps I also think that is really important is that if you're a treatment brewery, you can get really, you can get really, really close to where you want to go. But if you're really trying to refine a recipe and you really, and you're your own worst critic, you really want to go through and go, yeah, this is great. But if we were building this from the ground up to big taste like this, what would we change? And if you're big enough and we're on a 20 barrel brew house and we have 10,000 square feet, we're a decent sized brewery, we can do that. We can do those bigger batches and, and get it out to more people. Yeah. So I guess maybe that wasn't the right beer to, to, to start off with then. Like when you're thinking about specialty ingredients, um, where do you, what do you like to see? Is it contrast? Is it is it complementing? Is it uh, you know, something that just I don't know is super familiar, like a Dunkin' Donuts coffee? Um, if you were to build a recipe from scratch using you know a, a fine base beer and then something something nutty, something something crazy, um, I'm not. Where does your brewer brain work? Yeah, or start I'm not working. I'm not super creative when it comes. I love cooking and I have a lot of experience with a lot of different ingredients, but I, I look to the real world. And like you said, it's Dunkin' Donuts. It's going to a, a store and saying, oh, I just saw maple bacon coffee, <laughs> right? Well, those flavors I never thought would go well together, but it sounds like it would work. Let's give it a shot. So I think you go, that's kind of where a lot of those culinary recipes that I was directly involved with using, doing a beer with basil and lime yeah. and saying, okay, well, I want to do something with basil and lime because it sounds like a great idea. I think a lot of the treatment beers, if I'm getting the question uh, correctly, a lot of the treatment beers, I would start with, I want to use these flavors. Let me find what the base beer would make the most sense for it. Gotcha. And say, well, I, I, and the compare contrast, if I'm doing something that's really roasty, if I'm doing a coffee beer, the instincts for so many people are, well, let's do an imperial stout. Well, your imperial stout's probably already roasty. Mm -hmm. So adding roast on top of roast, is that really a great idea? Uh, for some people it is, and they love it. When I do one of my coffee beers, I do a version of my Christmas ale called Chris Father Christmas. I do Christmas morning. Well, my Christmas ale, the Belgian dark strong ale with holiday spices has no roast to it. So coffee adds an extra element. So I would like to use something that's either a blank palette, a blank canvas to paint on, like a very light lager or something of that nature. If I just want to get a flavor impact, basil, lime, I'm going to go with a Saison or I'm going to go with something that's 
almost not going to be part of the conversation because I just want you to taste basil and lime. Or I would like to add a nuance and complexity, like I'd be building a, a dish. And I want you to taste something different every time you sip it. You've been doing this for so long and you've mentioned your restaurant background now um, and using uh, special ingredients and in beer and all of that. I, I, I'm thinking back to, you know, those early days of Funky Buddha and what the beer industry and the consumer conversation was like. And so much of it was built around beer dinners and trying to find, you know, beers that uh, complemented dishes and, and, and vice versa. And I know the pandemic has sort of messed that up a little bit and the conversation overall has sort of shifted away from, you know, what do we have on the plate? What do we have in the glass and how do they work together? Um, with the rise of you know, all of these specialty beers and specialty ingredient beers, is it harder to think about food pairings these days than it used to be? I think <laughs> this might sound insulting. I think no. if you, I think if you want to do it correctly, and I know correctly is subjective, but I think if you want to do it correctly, it's more difficult. If you don't want to think about it much, it's the easiest thing in the world. <laughs> because all right, so give it, me examples then. Yeah. Well, yeah. So when you do a dessert and you go, well, I'll just do my cherry chocolate quadruple. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you've already got and dessert. Here's a piece of chocolate cake. Yeah, with cherries. Forest cake. Yeah, yeah. And people think, "Wow, I just did a really great job of pairing that thing together." Well, no, you just Gold did the star. exact same flavor and and mimic it. And that's not. I mean, I was I worked as a wine steward for many years, and you, we never just said, "Okay, we're going to get chocolatey, rich, big wines with chocolatey, big, rich foods." right? Like with like is important. It's an aspect of it, but it's not the only thing you're looking yeah. for. So I, uh, I'm in the unenviable position is that we do beer dinners like every other month and they're pretty interesting. They're, we call them throwdown beer dinners where we go head to head with another brewery and we don't know what the beers they're bringing. Neither brewery knows what beers the other brewery is bringing. And we don't even know the food courses. The courses are a surprise to us and we have to pair on the fly as each course gets delivered. Okay. Wait, I'm, and I'm so are, are you just bringing a tap room with you? So we have, so we, it's all, always at our brewery. We have an in-house food truck. It's actually not okay. part of our business, but we, we work symbiotically. Okay. And he pre prepares a four course blind menu. And we have 50 people that come in here. And so many of them come every single time we do it. Yeah. And they know that they're just going to get food. They can't have allergies. They have, you know, there's no special specialization and literally he'll come out with a salad with apple vinaigrette and shaved Parmigiano Reggiano and go, this is what we have. And I have pre-selected four beers. I got to pick one of those four beers and pair it with that salad. And then the customers decide who won that round. Wow. And we've been doing this for almost six years now and they're very successful. They're a lot of fun, but, uh, it's so interesting to see because a lot of times when you're thinking about these dinners, the instinct is to like get the craziest, biggest, fun beer. You know, they're going to be a dessert. So bring a dessert beer. There's going to be a this, bring a this. When you do it well, when you win, you're almost always bringing a lager, a brown ale, a stout, and a, you know, a triple. You're bringing beers that are versatile. You're bringing beers that can complement a wide variety of things. You're bringing beer that that is part of the conversation, not the entire conversation. Yeah, and that's when, as I said, you're doing it correctly, in my opinion. And I've gotten my clock cleaned by breweries who did did just that because I have to do something kind of new every other month. I can't do the same beers over and over again to a lot of the same people. So I've got to promote my new upcoming release. So the next throwdown dinner, I'm probably going to have hazelnut vanilla as my dessert beer because I want to talk about that beer. And they have also done my entire portfolio so often. Yeah. Uh, and whereas the, if the other people are smart and I always recommend it, I say, guys, don't overthink this thing. Bring a good range of good beers and then think about the flavors. Think about how this lager or this Saison would work with this. And uh, so I think that it's uh, it's. With so many people doing these kind of culinary beers, 
it's it actually I, I think it's a detriment to the food and beer pairings because I think you're missing something in the nuances of why you're doing it. Is there a solution? You know, you have these waves of uh, of 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 everything, whether it's food culture and the kind of foods that people are into and the the kind of ingredients that people are into. I don't know if we're ever going to get back. We <laughs> every year a bunch of people tell me, "Hey, man." you know, multi beers are coming back or, you know, Pilsners are all the rage. And even the people in the beer geek culture are loving Pilsners. Yeah. They'll talk about that. And there's certainly breweries that are doing a great job with them, but I've been hearing this stuff for years now. Yeah. And as a owner of a malt forward Belgian brewery, I can tell you that we haven't seen that, (laughs) you know, we've had to go meet people where they are. They're not necessarily coming back to us. So, I don't know. I don't I don't know if we're just at a point with smoothie sours, which is a style that man, much respect. I know people love the style. I don't understand it. I don't understand that that beer style. And it's beyond my comprehension at this point. Uh, some of the other styles that are really popular, they're just not for me. And I think that as we continue to go out there, out there, out there, and you're exposing people that were were not beer drinkers before at all, are now loving smoothie sours, loving super hazy, chewy, literally chewy IPAs, and beers like my hazelnut vanilla, they're not converting lovers of light, clean, crisp, well-made craft beers. They're converting non-beer drinkers. Yeah. And I think that's a good thing for the industry because more people can make a living and, and, and people love those beers. But I find it hard to believe that the genie's ever going to go back in that bottle. I think some of those people will eventually like other stuff and they'll, they'll put a Sierra Nevada pale ale in their fridge. But I, I don't know if it's, I don't know. <laughs> Could smoothies be in your lineup one day? Are you making the t-shirts? No smoothies ever. <laughs> Listen, I, I, I always try to be very careful uh, <laughs> because I, I don't ever want to overcommit on anything or undercommit on anything. And when I say that I don't understand the style, it, really, there's complexity and there is skill that goes into making everything. And with taste being as subjective as it is, I don't ever want to make it seem like I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm saying something negative about it. Uh, I don't see it. But at the yeah. same time, listen, I'm not going to be heading this ship forever, right? Yeah. And if someone else comes in and says, I can do this and I can do it really, really well. And, and that's really what happened. With, we were trying to develop an IPA for a long time, but it was really, there's a guy named Ralph who came in as a home brewer, never worked in the industry before, but a scientist. And my partners have microbiology backgrounds. We are a heavy science brewery. Yeah. And he was studying hops while he was working at Publix, which is our local grocery chain. Yep. And just loving the industry. And he is a savant. And he said, I got the hops that will work in this beer. And he worked on it. And it's if Ralph had not, it was a perfect storm of getting a person that was passionate about it, who was educated, who was knowledgeable and would push the boundaries with our desire to get into that and our already the groundwork that we laid a perfect storm brings a new product line to us. And I think I'm very, and something I'm very proud of. If someone else, whether it's Ralph or my head brewer, Joel or Ben, the guys that work in the back or someone else new comes in and says, Hey, I know you're not a really big fan of this, but I, I want to make this beer. I want to give them the, the free range to give it a shot because I think it's important to explore new things. Yeah. And I think it's important to if I just made the beers I liked, we would not have a brewery. <laughs> We'd be closed because yeah. the beers that just the beers I like are not going to get people as, as excited. And I think a lot of a lot of people in the industry fall into some of those traps. Like, and that's when every beer tastes exactly the same in your entire product line. <laughs> you know, I have a friend of mine who owned a brewery that uh, that every beer was hoppy. Absolutely every amber, the amber, the stout, absolutely everything was, you know, back in the day when people cared about IBUs was 150 IBUs. 
using the same hops. And it was like, well, you know, every beer tastes exactly the same. They're just different colors. (laughs) Right. But he loved those beers and he did find an audience for his beers, obviously. But that's the trap I don't want to fall into. You mentioned uh, your QAQC uh, and, and, and your lab. And as you're using, as any brewery are now using more and more non-traditional brewing ingredients, understanding what is happening during fermentation, understanding what is happening uh, in the package is, is so critically important. Um, what do you think you've learned from that aspect over your career, you know, even going back to maple, bacon, coffee, porter, uh, to now vanilla, hazelnuts, and um, everything else in between guava. Um, what what have you learned about the importance of having a proper lab and lab work? So I, I did not have any history with doing any lab work at all before I got kind of hooked up with my partners at Bear Monks. And we were just very much, I mean, I started as a home brewer and the owners of Funky Buddha were home brewers and the brewery I went to work with at Due South for about a year and a half in between the two breweries was a home brewer. So we were all just doing what we did. And if it tasted bad, we try something new, right? We read books and we were, I tried to be educated and that was a really important aspect to me. But my version of lab work and QAQC was just taking fastidious notes and making sure that I had information because if I have information, I can make changes. And that worked very well with my partners as I reopened Barrel of Monks because I had the foundation for, uh, I had a scientific mind, even though I didn't have the education uh, of yeast counting and cell growth and things of that nature. Yeah. So they, uh, Matt Sadie, who was one of my other partners at Barrel of Monks, and Bill McPhee really gave me a crash course, yeast counting, uh, do, you know, doing cultures, you know, taking cultures in the tank, make sure nothing's growing inside of them, things of that nature, really getting into DO, really getting into having the equipment to actually test these things, which I never had access to before. So it just reinforced that idea of the more information we have, the better we can be. And and doing things in a strategic way so that if we have an issue, we can find where the issue came from. It's not, are you going to have an issue? It is when you have an issue, how can you solve it? And that is probably the most important thing I can talk to a home brewer about. I can talk to someone getting in the industry is that if you are measured in your approach, if you take all the information in that you possibly can, you will track down an infection, you will stave off an infection, you will not send bad beer out in the market, you will find out where that came from and be able to fix it in a quick manner. And also, and then like recipe formulation, by doing things in a strategic way, not changing too many things at once, you can steadily build on your beer. And not come in one day and go, well, I'm going to change the fermentation temperature. I'm going to change the mash temperature. I'm going to uh, and change the, the, the bittering hops. Well, you just did three things. You're yeah. not going to know which one made that beer better or worse. So uh, that's, that's kind of where, where all that brought me. After these crash courses, knowing now what you do, um, have you ever thought to yourself, okay, Based on this knowledge now, if I went back a decade ago, do, do you think those beers would have turned out differently? Some of those Absol- earlier beers? Absolutely. I, uh, first of all, some of the beers that we were making when we were all the rage and people were selling their firstborn child to get their hands on a thing that I bottled in a sink with a beer gun by hand, some of them were pretty bad. <laughs> They were under attenuated. They were one dimensional. That's because we were just learning. But in Florida specifically, it was a beer wasteland. People were just happy to have anything. And for those people who weren't looking for nuance and things of that, they were like, oh, I love it. It Tastes just like vanilla and orange. And and I would look back on it now and go, man, it only tasted like vanilla and orange. That's you can just have orange juice if you wanted. Yeah. Uh, so I think a lot of the beers early on would have been, a, been much better and we would have gotten there quicker. Uh, the real thing that's changed a lot in my 
uh, apart from the uh, the scientific aspect, and I'm sorry to go away from that if this is no, no, too no. far of a departure, but it's the way that my palate's changed and what I want out of a beer has changed to the point that I want it dry, I want it to style, and I want other brewers to stand around and go, damn, this is a good beer. The way that I do when I drink a uh, a Dortmunder from Great Lakes Brewing, yeah, and go no one no one cares about and and that's uh, tons of people drink it. The beer it's very popular, but no one's lining up for it outside. But they, but it's as good or better than so many beers in the top twenty on 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 Beer Advocate or Rape Beer or Untapped in a style because it's just amazing and extremely well done. So uh, that's what my goals are now. Whereas in the past it was to be, Oh my God, people freaking out and, and, and getting the beer and sending it to Belgium or to England because they have a, the, the trading culture. You've sent your beers to other countries. Uh, you've, you had some international dis- distribution. Um, when you're thinking about where you want to send your beer, how do you come up with what might work? Is it somebody reaches out and says, hey, we'll take a pallet? Or are you trying to do something more targeted than that? So a lot of our international distribution, actually, I shouldn't say a lot, all of our international distribution has really come on the back of Oddbreed because Oddbreed as a brand is a brand. That has, if you go on untapped, I don't know if there's a beer that Matt Manthe's ever made that's under a four. So he's got. So he's never made a Kolsch is what you're saying. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Well, and by the way, <laughs> and by the way, you know, what we're talking about Dortmunder. Matt was brewing at a brew pub local to Florida when I, when, when I met him and my favorite beer he's ever made was his Dortmunder. And I love the Oddbreed beers. They're incredible. If you want to talk about two style and well-made and classic, you can talk about Oddbreed all day. But his clean beers that he made uh, at a little brew pub that would never get any fanfare were some of the best beers being made in Florida when he was doing it. So, yes, his beers are great in that. But no, for Oddbreed, that's not what he does, right? He does sour beers. He uses fruit. He uses spices. They're all barrel-aged. And because of that, in that sect, extremely well-received, extremely well-respected. So we get calls from a distributor in China that's literally going on untapped because this is how the world works these days and says, well, these are really highly rated. I want these beers. <laughs> uh, it, I, I Listen, it's a it's brave new world, man. I, I don't, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 was, I was told recently by a distributor that they loved the packaging. They thought it looked really, really good. They really wanted to try it, but it only had a 3.9 on untapped and they can't touch a beer under four in that style. So okay. that, that's a little kick in the teeth, but so it's we have huge. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I could talk about this all day, by the no, way. So we know because we can, I'm just going to get mad. And yeah. Then, yeah. You, you seem like you seem like a kindred spirit. So I, I appreciate uh, that. Uh, so we, this is where a lot of our distribution overseas has come from is really them reaching out about odd breed. And then we get them a little bit of beer. We send some samples sometimes, sometimes they, they'll buy them just automatically they'll put together a palette or two and then we say hey we got this other brand as well it complements our portfolio because it's clean beer versus wild beer and also with barrel amongst we have a little more of a wide range i've got a wit i've got a belgian blondale i've got an imperial stout i've got all these other things i can do an ipa now and so most of it has come from that we have reached out to a couple people in some different areas that we thought would work but that's mostly in the states so we'll reach out to this area of the country, right? Because these beers do well there. Because from my standpoint, I run distribution for both places. I don't have any connections in England. Yeah. (laughs) Other than looking online and and trying to find somebody and and doing a little bit of Google searching. So we really require people kind of to come to us. As, As we start to wrap up here, 
uh, I've been asking folks on the show. I've been I've been sort of setting it up that a couple months ago, my wife and I were rewatching The Good Place, and there's this whole <laughs> concept of uh, of the green door, <laughs> and uh, you can walk through a door and be anywhere at any point in in, in history with anybody that you want. Um, if uh, uh, such wonders existed on this plane of existence, and we could end this conversation, you could walk through a green door into any pub or any brewery. Um, with anybody that you wanted, where would it take you? Wow. Uh, first of all, Good Place is the greatest television show that's ever been made. Uh, so <laughs> there's that. Yes. Uh, um, wow. Uh, can I can I cross space and time? Of course. Yeah. There's no. Okay. I just want to yeah. make sure. Okay. Um, so I would. I would. I can do the self-serving or I can do it non. I'll do self-serving. Okay. I would go forward to when my son is my age. Okay. And I would take him to try the first batch of beer that we ever made at Funky Buddha that I ever commercially had my hands in and put on tap and sold for American currency. And I'd want to taste that with him and that environment. Cause I would, I, I, I put the floorboards in, in that place. And I, I, I literally helped to build it with my own two hands. And I would love to just taste that beer with him and laugh at how bad it was and enjoy that, that moment with my, with my, my older son. And yeah, that would be it. I love it. I think that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a lovely answer. I, I, I really dig it. Um, Kevin, thanks for being on the show this week. Thanks for taking the time and sharing your insights and expertise. My absolute pleasure in doing so. Kevin, by the way, is also one of the hosts of the United We Drink podcast. So if you liked what he had to say on the show, make sure you check out that show. Passing on guest suggestions does indeed work. So who do you want to hear? You can email me. It's John Hall, J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at BeerEdge.com, or you can reach out on social media. I'm on Twitter at John underscore Hall. Beer Edge is also on all of the social medias at The Beer Edge. A reminder to join the Smoked Beer Conversation with other enthusiasts on the This Week in Rauk Beer Facebook page or on Twitter and Instagram at TWRaukBeer. And if you're a brewery or a company that wants to support the show and bring original content to the airwaves, you can help us out through advertising by reaching out to Liz Melby. She's at Liz at BeerEdge.com. And speaking of that, thanks to the companies who help keep us on the air. This dry January, party on all month long with Athletic Brewing Company's great tasting non-alcoholic craft beer. Their full lineup of craft styles lets you drink up and stay dry while keeping things fresh. And with brews starting at only 50 calories, you can stick to your resolutions all while saying cheers. Join the party at athleticbrewing.com and get free shipping on two six-packs or more. Plus, new customers can get 10% off with code BEEREDGE10. We're also brought to you by NZ Hops, a cooperative of master growers whose legend and cultivars have been crafted for over 150 years with creativity and passion to produce some of the world's finest hops. With a dedicated hop breeding program and farming knowledge handed down through the generations, the current day master growers proudly provide 18 unique New Zealand hop varieties to the world. Visit nzhops.co.nz or find them on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn at nzhopsltd to learn more. Final reminder, check out the Beer Edge podcast with Andy Crouch. New episodes come out weekly. Steal This Beer has new episodes every Monday, and the BYO Nano podcast drops on the 15th of every month. Back here, Nate Schweber performs our theme music, Jeff Quinn designed our logo, and I'm John Hall. New episodes release every Wednesday, and that's when I'm going to be back again to drink beer and to think beer.